The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. But if you would, turn now in your copy of God's Word to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is where we'll be today, and it is actually the final message in this series we've called Authentic. Authentic, as we have surveyed the scriptures, looking at what is an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. What are those things that define who we are that love Jesus? It is someone who worships Christ, walks with Christ, and what's the last one? Who works for Christ. And so today, not only is the final message in working for Christ, but also in the uh, grand series as a, as a whole. Next week, like uh, most of you know next week we will get back into the Gospel of Mark and be there uh, going verse by verse uh, for uh, the foreseeable future um, should the Lord tarry and uh, we continue on as planned. But it's been my hope that as we have surveyed the scriptures that your faith has been encouraged. It's been my hope that your walk with the Lord has been uh, strengthened, that uh, your worship has become more passionate and your work has become more faithful. See, this series has been designed to teach us who a disciple is and what it is that we are to do. Really, speaking of what we do, I have a question for us as we begin. Who loves waking up for work in the morning? Yeah, a few of us, whether you have a traditional employment or you manage your home or you have some sort of in, uh, you know, untraditional means of work, who just loves waking up in the morning? A few of us, yeah? Some of us, some of y'all are like, nah, ain't about that. No, tomorrow's gonna come and I'm, who, who are like the, the multiple snooze hitters? Like, poof, you hit it and then five minutes later, yeah, a few people, right. No shame in that, right? Everyone's just like, bam, bam, hitting it, I'm hitting it. But what is it that makes us love our work? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that makes us love our work, whatever it might be? Well, I could think of two probably kind of primary reasons. The first being is that we love the people. The second is we love the impact or we believe in the cause. You know, we love the people. Maybe it's because you really love the boss that you work for or the people that you work with or you really value the clients or the kids or whoever it might be that you get to spend your day with or you just believe in the cause. Maybe the people you could do without or you, could, you wish they were maybe better, but you really believe in the outcome of what you do. I think those are some of the reasons. Maybe there's some others. I would like to know what it is that, uh, why it is rather that you love your work. I personally love my job. I personally, I love this. I wake up many mornings, more mornings than I don't, and I think to myself, I can't believe that I get to do this. I can't believe that I uh, get to open God's word and study it and uh, work with all you people. I particularly love working with Aaron and Paul. They are two great coworkers, and they, uh, they are humble and wise beyond their years. They go above and beyond. The work that they do, you uh, really only ever see the fruit of it, but they work hard uh, because they love the Lord and they love you. I love that I get to work with our small group leaders, our ministry team leaders, those people that uh, faithfully are serving all throughout the week. Why? Because they believe in our mission. They believe that we are here to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They want to see the lost saved, the saved matured, and the mature multiplied all to God's glory. And your eagerness, 
Your eagerness to grow in the faith, to be a light here in New Braunfels blows me away day after day. It's really what motivates me to keep studying, to uh, keep meeting, to keep praying, to keep leading. And for me, really, this isn't a job, but a joy. It's not a job, it's a joy. And I hope in your work, whatever it is that you get to do, it's not just a job, but it's a joy. It's a, it's a joy. These are two words that are two-thirds similar in their spelling, but really worlds apart in their meaning, aren't they? It is not just a job, but it is a joy. And when we are working for the master, it is indeed a joy. When we see what we do is for Christ, is for a bigger purpose, whether we are employed by a church or not, it is a joy and this is really the work of the master is something that all of us are called to be part of, not just me as a pastor, but all of us. And so today, today we look at Jesus' teaching on why we work. We're gonna go to a familiar parable. If you've turned to Matthew 25, maybe you're like, aha, I've heard this before, maybe at a a funeral or some other time where you've heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. This parable is commonly known as the parable of the talents. Do you have it open there in front of you? You have God's word open? How about I read it? Should we do that? Can I read it for us and we all revel in it together? Let's do that. Look at your copy of God's word and I'll read it here for us. This is Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus is speaking and he teaches this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, uh, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word for God's people. 
Kind of a startling end to a pretty joyful beginning in a parable, isn't it? A startling end to a joyful beginning. But how about a little bit of background before we kind of take this apart? This is a second of uh, two parables that Jesus was teaching his disciples about the end. He is uh, about to be arrested, beaten, crucified, and rise again, but uh, Jesus is uh, teaching some things at the very end of his ministry with them uh, before those events are about to happen. And Matthew 24 and 25 are the source of much of Jesus' teaching on the end times. And in true Jesus style, he teaches two parables. Parables being uh, a means of telling a story of these visible truths that are uh, to uh, make obvious truths truth to believers and to conceal truth from those who do not believe. The first parable at the beginning of the chapter teaches uh, authentic disciples that we, uh, how to wait or how to prepare while we wait uh, for his return. And the second one, this one, teaches authentic disciples that we work while we wait for his return. Or we could say it this way, and here's really the thrust of the passage. It's this, authentic disciples find joy and faithful work for Christ. Authentic disciples find joy in faithful work for Christ. Uh, And in our parable, it gives two examples of authentic disciples who do indeed find joy in the work and one pretender who does not. See, we find joy in our faithfulness. We find joy in our faithfulness, but how do we do that? How do we find joy as we work for the Lord? Probably all of us in here uh, think of maybe what we do or how we serve as work for the Lord, but how do we find joy in it? And that's what we'll look at here now. Here's the first point. Make the most of your opportunity. Make the most of your opportunity. Let's take this uh, passage uh, down uh, verse by verse now, shall we? I I use this word opportunity intentionally because I think it captures the essence of what Jesus is teaching here in talents. And talents may not mean what you think it means. We'll take it apart here in just a minute. But the call this morning, the application for all authentic disciples is to make the most of what God has given you. Make the most of what God has given you. So we make the most of our opportunities for that very reason is because God has given us talents. Because God has given us talents. Look here at this uh, verse 14 as Jesus begins telling the parable. He, he's continuing on from the first and uh, you may be wondering, he says, for it. Well, what is it referring to? If you look back at verse one, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Something uh, that we see in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it refers really to kind of the big picture overarching uh, body of those who believe, those who are under the dominion of the king, the kingdom of heaven. And so often it is referring to those, you know, kind of the invisible nature, all encompassing of God's people or here even sometimes the literal physical people of God. And so there's a man here, he's going on a journey, there's a master, and in this story he's Christ, and there's some servants, or literally slaves, those who are possessed and owned by the master. We, beloved, are possessed. We are a people of God's own possession. We are owned by God. And so what does the master do? He's leaving and going on a journey, and he, what does he do? He entrusts 
his property. Do you see that in verse 14 there? Underline that word and trust so you never miss it again. This is a, a, a stewardship. He gives to them talents. He gives to them property. You know, it, they are responsible for the owner's property as, they, as he is about to go on a journey. And so um, this idea of talents here, um, you may be reading it and reading it from an English understanding and you might be thinking of talents as in um, you know, like our physical abilities, right? Those things, uh, those physical skills that God has given you. And that's actually not what it's referred to. It's kind of unfortunate that it's, uh, that's what we mean and that's the translation, but it's actually a unit of measurement. It's a weight, okay? One talent was somewhere in the realm of 58 to 80 pounds, something like, you know, like, not quite like this. I asked for a 50 pound dumbbell, but this is only about 30 pounds. I went to curl, I'm like, I can't do 50, but I can't do it now. But you see, a talent is a heavy weight, right? And it was how they were measured. It was likely silver money that was owned by the master. So five talents, if you, you know, just round maybe 75 pounds, that's a lot of silver bullion, isn't it? That's a lot of money. In today's numbers would be uh, worth tens of thousands of dollars that was being entrusted to these servants, as he was going away, as they were in charge, they were like house sitting for the master. You ever went on vacation? And you left behind your dogs and you had a garden to water and you know, things to take care of and bills to pay and you uh, asked somebody to house it for you. You ever done that before? Hey, or stewarding your property. And in similar sense, this is what is happening in the story. The master's going away. He entrusts them with this, this weight of responsibility. And this really shows us here some larger biblical truths, doesn't it? We are responsible. God gives us these opportunities. He, is, uh, he entrusts us with uh, all kinds of things. We like to refer to it in uh, our opportunities uh, in our time, talent, and treasures, right? You're familiar with that? Like that's just something we kind of see throughout the scriptures. God gives us time that we're to make the most of. And actually, uh, look at this little chart here that you see uh, this larger kind of biblical theme. It's God who gives and it is we who steward. I put it up here. You can take a picture of it with your phone if you want. You can pop it out here and and, uh, cross-check those verses. But God gives us time, right? Psalm 139, it says that God uh, numbers our days. You know, before the, your date of birth and your date of death are etched on a, on a headstone, God already knew it. And as we saw a few weeks ago, we are to make the best use of our time, of the talents, the skills, the, the giftedness the, uh, that God has given you. It, it says in Romans 12 that God apportions them to whom he chooses. Not only the type of gift that he gives you, but also the measure in which you have it. There are some that uh, may uh, possess the same gift of serving or the same gift of preaching, but uh, because of their ability have uh, you know, a greater measure of the talent. But as First Peter 4 tells us, we're all to serve with the strength that God provides. We are entrusted, we steward our talent and our money. Remember the warning in Deuteronomy 8 as the, uh, God warns the Israelites as they were to go into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, as they were uh, uh, accumulating this wealth, he warns them not to forget where their wealth came from. Your bank account, your paycheck does not necessarily come from your employer as a result of the work that you have put in. Its source is from 
the Lord. And we are charged, we are charged with stewarding it well. We are to be joyful, faithful, sacrificial, vertical in our giving. See, this is a part of a bigger uh, reality of the scriptures is that God gives and we steward. The three T's, the, the, our time, talent, and treasure are really opportunities that God gives for missional purposes, for gospel opportunities. He has given them to us and we make the most of them. Two of the disciples, two of the servants in this parable get this, but one does not. You see that here? They, God gives and then they get to work. Or see, right away at once, they, he goes away and at once, look at verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and all we're told is that he traded them. I don't know, maybe this is some like ancient um, stock market or something and he's trading in silver. We don't necessarily know exactly what they do, what the one with five talents and the one with two talents, but that's not the point, only that they did something with it. And what really becomes clear throughout the whole parable is that God expects us to make the most of what he gives us of the time and the opportunities, of the giftedness. And, and if we hide or we hoard the gifts that God gives us, there will be an accounting. We will be accountable. And this is really the second way we find joy. The second way we make the most of our opportunity is understanding that God gives them to us, but also, because verse 19, that Jesus is coming back. The master comes back, doesn't he, in verse 19. It says, all it says is now after a, a long time. And we have no indication exactly how long that is. But, um, but it is um, a motivation that the master is coming back. For we who are believers, there is an eschatological motivation for our work. What do we do while we wait for Christ's return? Is he coming back, y'all? He is. He is. He is. He is, Christ is coming back. We've sung it. How many songs had, a, had lyrics in it this morning that we sung in uh, eager anticipation of, of Christ coming back? Quite a few of them, right? Because it is our great joy and excitement that he will return. And in the same way that uh, it is eager and we are excited, there is also uh, accountability that comes with it. And so while we wait, we just sit back and uh, attend to our own interests accumulating things for ourselves? Do we cower in fear? Do we just sit back and watch football all day as much as maybe we'd like to? No, we work as if he was here. We work as if he was here. You know, sometimes I like to take my wife on a date. Sometimes. <laughs> that came out maybe a little bit wrong. I always like to take my wife on a date. Sometimes I actually do. <laughs> she would probably like it uh, if I did even more. But when we do uh, go on dates or we go away, we have two children and uh, we get a sitter. And uh, when we have a sitter, uh, they uh, come and we have some great uh, sitters here in our church that uh, our kids love. And, and uh, when we go away, uh, Malachi, do the rules stay the same when uh, mom and dad are gone? Are the expectations the same when uh, mom and dad are gone? That's right, bedtime doesn't change. Yeah, <laughs> he cocks his head like, 
maybe. The rules, the expectations are the same as if mom and dad were here. Bedtime remains the same. The house chores uh, uh, need to be done. The, the uh, expectations of our house do not change even though there is somebody else entrusted with a property for uh, our, our kids. Now we don't, they're not our property, but you get the picture. <laughs> you get the picture. And so we entrust them and those rules are the same as if we were there. And while our kids really like it when sitters come, they are also excited still anyways. Maybe that'll change in a few years, but they are still excited. They are eager for our return. And so we too, with eagerness, work as if Christ was here. We work as if the master was among us. We work with eagerness and we, it's been a long time since Christ left and made these promises, right? It's been a long time and we know not when. It could happen uh, at any point, but uh, we uh, sing it often in our songs. We remind ourselves of this. We work hard with eagerness knowing that Christ is coming back to really stoke those embers of expectation to say like Revelation 22:20, 20, come Lord Jesus but we also stoke those embers of accountability knowing that we will have to give account. But here's the, here's the thing, y'all. There's no fear in accountability when we are in Christ and we have been faithful. We only cower in fear when we know we've done something wrong while mom and dad are away. But we await with eagerness, with joy even, at their return and so when we've been faithful there's great joy there's we make the most of our opportunities why because there is joy in faithfulness i was struck by uh, verse 20 and uh, really through 23 here of these two uh, servants and their uh, reception of the master at his return They come forward with joy to show what they've done. It's like a musician who's eager to play the piece that he's practiced or the the builder eager to showcase what she's built or the kid that's just bursting to show his or her parent the picture that they've drawn and authentic disciples really can't wait to showcase, to to bring to the master what they've done with the opportunities that they've been given. See, look, at the, the master comes and he who had received the five talents, just hear the joy in his voice. He says, master, you, you delivered to me five talents. Really, it's an expression like the song we sang, you gave me more than I deserved. More weight, more weightiness of responsibility than I could even handle. And yet here, I have made five talents more. And the striking thing about this is, as you read it, they, they give it all back. There's no like keeping it. There's no, hey, showing it, but, but I'm gonna keep it in my account. The master returns and it's like, here you go. You know, all this, uh, how many ever hundreds of pounds of silver balloon, just like, here you go, Lord. And they are so eager in the same way with the one who had received two talents. There is so much joy. And let us not think that this is boasting. This isn't them like, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, look what I did, God. Like, look at how awesome I am. No, but they understood where the responsibility came from and how undeserving they were that it actually belonged to somebody else. It belonged to the master. And therefore, it is not boasting, but it is worship. It is worship to show the master to say, all this is for you. 
then they hear those words that I think we all long to hear from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, there's both joy in the work and in the reward. There's both joy in the work and in the reward when we are serving the Lord, when we are working for Christ, when we are are using the time, talent, and treasure that he has given us. There is joy in faithfulness. And mind you, it is faithfulness that is rewarded, not fruitfulness. Yes, they had 100% return, but that is not what drew the praise of the master. Look at what it says. It does not say, well done, good and fruitful servant. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. For what is it that is required of servants, of stewards? 1 Corinthians 4 answers that question. This is how one should regard us as servants or slaves of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You've been entrusted, beloved, with the gospel with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And we would miss the point if we read the story and we think that it is about what they start with or even what they end with, but it is about what they've done with what they've been given. Not every servant is given the same amount. They're all actually given various amounts. It is what the point is that we are faithful with what has been given to us from God. You know, when I was a kid, I was always envious of those kids that started the school year with those big crayon boxes. You remember those? Those ones, I guess they don't even make them anymore. We went to the store yesterday and they don't even make, but you remember those ones that were like 96 crayons that were nice and big and long? I was always envious of the kids that, you know, their parents are so rich, could give them those things, and I didn't. I just got, you know, the, like, the 24 box here, you know. And then there was, like, the unlucky kid who came with, you know, just the eight big, uh, you know, the fat crayons here. And I think sometimes, you know, like, the talents that God gives us are maybe like a crayon box here. We want something else. We, we look to, you know, like this, this one's super fancy now. There's 152 crayons in here, a sharpener built in, like all nice and organized. And there's even a new color called Blutiful. <laughs> like, it's not even just, it's not, there's not just blue anymore, but now your pictures, your crayons, your drawings can be used. I don't even know which one it is. There's like 40 different shades of blue in here. One of them is beautiful. Our, our redemption kids will have a whole host of crayons to color with here now. But I was always envious of the kids who got the other ones. When I should have just colored my pictures with the crayons that I had. And sometimes I wonder if we miss the point of like our talents, the things that we have of just being like the crayons here. You know, this is what God has given us because of our ability or where we are in our spiritual maturity and we want something, you know, we want more, we want different ones, we want another kind of crayon. But you know what? There's some joy in just having some crayons and getting to color. 
There's joy in just having some crayons and getting color, getting the color and make some artwork for the master and then taking him the sheet and showing the master our work and receiving his praise and then him handing another, another sheet, maybe more complex, maybe some new crayons and taking that one back and just showing it to him like your kids or your grandkids do and they color a sheet and it's a, work of art. That's really what talents are. All God wants us to do is just to be faithful. Do you view your work for Christ like a box of crayons as an opportunity to create something for the glory of the master? As something to add color to this world? Do you view your work for Christ, where you serve here at our church, in the various ways that you uh, serve throughout our community, through other ministries, in your job? Your, do you view your time and your talent and your treasure as crayons that are adding uh, color to the kingdom of heaven? Or do they sit in the box because you want them to look nice? Because you wish you were coloring with somebody else's crayons because you want to use them for your own color to put pictures on your own refrigerator but beloved our calendars our skill sets our bank accounts are just crayons meant to be used for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel and the good of those people around you they're just crayons you know, we hold on to it, you know, like we, we hold on to a $100 bill like it's something like super valuable when really it's a crayon. It's a crayon. I don't waste it. I'm not saying do we, that we just uh, are careless or cavalier with it. But they're crayons. And they're weighty. They have responsibility that is attached to it and has been entrusted to us while the master is away and yet very present. And when we view our work this way, beloved, oh, redemption, it becomes a great joy and not a, just another job that we have to do. Not just something else that we have to show up for, not something that we have to lose sleep over, not something that we have to prepare for, not something that we just have to tolerate or do because it's a job, but it's a joy like none other, whatever it is that God has called you to do and equipped you with and entrusted you with. Those are responsibilities. They are opportunities that, that the master is asking you to make the most of and to serve him with great joy and faithfulness. And so just let me ask this. How do we like cultivate this kind of joy in our work for the Lord? Ever thought about that? Like, how do we cultivate this kind of joy? Like, like, we get this, right? We understand the joy of faithfulness, right? We understand that it's given from God, but how do we stir up those affections in our heart? How do we, how do we stir it up that, we, that our work is, is not just a job, but it's a joy in making the most of it? Well, here are just some helpful suggestions, I hope. Let's be people, let's be a church that is quick to remind ourselves and others why we work. To remind ourselves, hey, these are opportunities, not obstacles. They are opportunities. Let's be quick to remind ourselves. Let's also be on the lookout for gospel opportunity and then take it. 
Let's be a people who, uh, who just have a gospel radar, you know? Like a, good, like a good investor that just knows good opportunities. Let's be on the lookout and take those and then let's be generous in celebrating this faithfulness. As we see those who are serving faithfully, let's with joy celebrate that. Let's be thankful and grateful to one another as we see these types of things, knowing the joy of the work and the joy of the reward that the master will give one day as we approach him. See, our church, our opportunities, the way that we serve, the new building that we move in are just responsibilities. They're opportunities. They're weighty indeed, right? Like this new building that we're moving into, that's a weighty responsibility that God is entrusting to us for his purposes. And so who's with me to take and be faithful with that responsibility? Ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's be, let's serve with joy. But as we read earlier, and we see this passage, it begins with great joy. There is also a little bit of a sobering truth, right? As with, the, as with the case with most biblical truths here, there's also a warning to go with the grace. And it's here we, we conclude and look at these last few verses. It's this, it's that make-believers will be outed. Make-believers will be outed. We are, authentic disciples are to make the most of our opportunities, but make-believers will be outed on its own. You could read this parable apart from like the context of scripture and you could take this parable to say that Jesus is teaching that we are saved by our works. That because this one talent servant didn't produce, he was then cast into hell. And because the five and the two, servant, or two talent servants did produce, they were rewarded with the joy of heaven, but that would be a tragic misunderstanding. That would be a tragic misunderstanding. What Jesus is teaching here is that authentic disciples are proven by the fruit of their faith. See, we are saved in order to serve and not the other way around. We, we are saved and therefore then we get to work and God entrusts us to take that gospel and to spread it out. Our life is not to, meant to be a gospel cul-de-sac. We are meant to be a highway, a road, telling all that we can about the good news of Jesus Christ and using those opportunities. And so in the same way that authentic disciples are proven by their fruit of their faith, make-believers are outed by their lack of it or exposed, their lack of fruit and their lack of faith. And so what do we see here? It's make-believers or those that are pretenders are outed by their lack of faith. And so see what he does here. The, he, he says in verse 24 now, he who had received the one talent came forward and there's no joy in his voice. What do you hear? You hear fear and trembling. The content of his profession shows that he truly doesn't actually understand who God is. See, make-believers maybe profess Christ they are among believers, but they are, their life and works really just are no different than the world. Some may be attend church or even serving, but they do so without a changed heart, not truly understanding the character of God because they don't personally know him. And this servant did not understand who the master was truly. He knew his wrath, knew his judgment. Look, he says, I know you to be a hard man, 
He even accuses him of stealing in some ways, right? You reap where you did not sow. You gather where you scattered no seed. He misunderstands the character of God. The servant had the wrong fear of God and it paralyzed him. He viewed him as a harsh, exacting man, mean, but not the gracious, good God that the faithful servants knew him to be. Beloved, this is indicative of the gospel, is it not? This good news of truly knowing the holiness of God, truly knowing the kindness and the goodness of God and the undeserving uh, people whom we are, and when we rightly understand who God is, our massive problem that we cannot be saved by, but we understand the free gift, the goodness and the forgiveness, the mercy and grace that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus, and we embrace that in right fear, in reverent fear, the holiness of God, coming to God in his goodness, it is then that we are saved. It's then that we, uh, that we uh, find joy in our work, but when we misunderstand that, we misunderstand that. We just see God as this mean, harsh, exacting judge, and it paralyzes us that we don't do anything. And so not only does this servant have a lack of faith, but also a lack of fruit. He comes in and he says, I was afraid and I went and then all I did was hide your talent in the ground. But here, you can have it back. He has no picture to show. Just a box of crayons that are covered in dirt because he buried them in the mud to give back. He didn't even go to the bank to let somebody else try to make any money. He didn't give his crayon box to somebody else to let them color picture. Why? Why did he not do that? Why is that important? You know, the master says, well, you understand this, then at least, maybe if you understood me to be a harsh man, then why didn't you just even do something? I give it to the bankers. Well, they didn't, because he doesn't like accountability. He, didn't want, he wanted the credit for himself in case the master did not come back. Then, well, I can just keep this talent. And then, too, he would have to have outside accountability. The bank would give accountability to how it was being used and to who actually owned it. Make believers hate accountability. And as a result, there's nothing to show, no fruit, because there's no faith, there's no growth, because there's a dead root. And this, get, this response gets what? Strong language from the master. As equally kind and benevolent as the response from the, the master is to the faithful servants, is as harsh and as hard and as admonishing as the responses to the unfaithful, the lazy, the slothful servant. You see what it says? What does he call him? You wicked and slothful servant. Verse 30 says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. This is strong language, isn't it? It reminds me of Paul's language to Titus and to the Cretans. You may remember this from about a year ago as we preached through it. He says, this, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. 
Like we cringe when we hear those words, right? That like offends our American sensibilities. Like that, that we, we hear those, uh, is this unloving of God? Redemption, don't miss the grace of God in the sharp rebuke to wake you up if you are dead in your sin today. These are harsh words, no doubt. But in the harshness of God's rebuke is a tinge of grace as he wakes up his people with the harsh language. And this harsh language if you are in your sin, if you are being unfaithful, let it be the kindness of God that leads you to repentance and brings you to him. Let these words not be said over you and so you can hear the words. An unfaithful servant can hear the words and either buck up against it or can see Christ's warning of judgment and embrace him in repentance and faith before it is too late. Don't get to the end to hear these words, but right now is your opportunity. Right now is your opportunity. You can either waste it or make the most of it by turning to Christ. See, these are hard words, but we must understand that make-believers will be outed. But God in his kindness is calling and exposing what is missing and then provides the means to be saved. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so yes, there is like a heaviness about it. There's a weightiness to this just in the same way that there is a weightiness to the stewardship that we have. But church, my friends, beloved, when you get to the end of your life, whether you die or Christ returns. Come quickly, Lord, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe it would be this week. Who knows? What will you present to the Lord? What will you present to him? It's a big question, isn't it? It's kind of a big question. What will you present to the Lord? Will you present the, your work and joy? Or will you have nothing? And just give back to him, well, you gave me all this stuff and I can't take it with me, so here, it's all yours. It's kind of a big question, isn't it? It's a big, uh, uh, kind of a weighty way to end our service, but it is a good one. And you know what we do here as we uh, close up our service is we, uh, we're gonna take communion as just really another means to contemplate the answer to this question. Do you know that's what communion is? Do you know communion is a, a, an ordinance that God has given us? Communion has many purposes, but it is something that he has given us to examine our lives, to see whether we are in the faith. It is something that God gives us to, uh, to cause us to stop, to ask and to see, am I in the faith? What will I hear? Have I been ransomed? Has Christ's wounds, the, the, the body, his body that was broken, that's represented in the bread and his blood that was shed for our sin, was that credited to your account? In communion, just like the word of God, it's one of God's means of grace 
to cause us to think deeply on that. In the same way that prayer is. So I ask again here as we consider communion, and as, what will you present? Nothing? Will you just plead Christ? A joyful life, faithful work, fearful life of slothful work? What will you hear?